Well, welcome, brothers and sisters, on this Lord's Day to gather in the name of the Lord Jesus to bring him praise and honor and greetings to the church family at home this morning. Hope uh, everyone continues to feel the freedom to uh, assess their own risk and take care of their family members as we move forward together, even in this strange time. But I, again, we're, as the Philippian uh, letter would remind us, that we are one church family, and uh, may we be devoted to building one another up side by side. Uh, so by way of announcements, this upcoming Wednesday, the 20th, we have our elder-led uh, prayer meeting. We've been trying to do those monthly. Very thankful that the elders have taken the lead on that. So Wednesday, the 20th, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m., we're going to be praying for our nation and for our church. Uh, youth, you'll have your normal programming. So don't think, well, because that's Wednesday night, it'll be interrupted. Not, not at all. So we'll be over in the cafe. The prayer meeting will be in the cafe or the youth room, and the rest of the building will be, be going towards the uh, junior and senior high. So that's elder-led prayer meeting. Secondly, men. Uh, we're starting a Wednesday morning, a men's Bible study. It'll be uh, tight, 6.30 to 7.30. So what we're, we plan to do is come. You know, there'll be a short uh, Bible teaching time of discussion over breakfast and then off to work at 7.30. So uh, hopefully if you're able to do that, that will be a, a weekly encouragement to you. Uh, Pastor Joe Cerisi uh, would be a wonderful contact for that. So uh, Wednesday morning men's Bible study, 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. here at the church. There'll be plenty of space and we'll enjoy that time together. Ladies, a, a round of uh, women's Bible studies are starting also that first week of February. You're going to see there's a Monday evening option and also a Wednesday morning option. So whatever is best for your schedule, uh, you can think about that, but some really good Bible studies they'll be doing. Dawn Garrett would be a good contact, and then again, this information's on our website. So just have that on your radar. So I'd like to, I think Monday nights might work well, something like that. We'd love to have you. Maybe you noticed the QR codes on the way in. Very thankful that Kyle is uh, helping us uh, communicate better and have more things accessible in this time. So a QR code, just that black box that if you open your phone's camera and just hold it over those codes, you'll get the order of service and the sermon notes. So this is, I know that this is uh, foolproof because I did, I don't, I'm technologically illiterate. I watched Kyle's video. It was very clear I was able to do it. So you get the, the sermon notes and the order of service. So the QR codes, just a way of having uh, more access to what's happening here on Sunday mornings. And then the questions on the sermon notes are good guides, either for family devotionals or for your small groups. Finally, uh, every bit of data we have is that uh, this season of the, that we're in has been hard on marriages, and uh, so we all need uh, to revisit our commitments to uh, those bonds, and so this is a church that we know and trust down in Brunswick, Ohio, Hope Church in Brunswick, pastor's a friend of mine, and uh, Al and Charlotte Hartman, uh, we've known a long time that they'll be leading that marriage conference. So if you're saying, you know, that would be really something to look forward to down in, it's in Amish country on the 27th and 28th. You can go down the Friday evening, the night before, and they'll just be leading us, uh, leading us through, you know, what it means to have a, a healthy marriage in Christ. And I, I would recommend that. So they're ensuring distance. Uh, something to think about. The contact details, you have them there on the slide, but also on our website. So those things being said, much going on. We're going to turn our attention to uh, what God has done in Jesus, that after all, we're here to glorify him and to build each other up to that end, and very thankful to welcome uh, Pastor Jim Pavko, uh, who's giving uh, Pastor Ian a much-needed break this morning. So if we could uh, worship him together. Let's stand and worship our great God this morning. 
declare these truths together. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. sing the Word of God, and we study the Word of God, and we speak truths, and we do that in a lot of different ways. And today, I'd like to turn our attention towards a great piece of historical theology, the Heidelberg Catechism, a number of questions, so catechisms are used, so Christians, again, declare uh, what is true and what they uh, profess uh, is, is uh, what, what, again, God has done in Jesus. So I'll read where it says leader, and then, of course, all of us uh, will do the communal reading. So why is the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? Because he saves us from our sins, and because salvation should not be sought and cannot be found in anyone else. Do those who look for their salvation in saints, 
in themselves or elsewhere really believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Although they boast of being his, by their actions they deny the only Savior, Jesus. Either Jesus is not a perfect Savior, or those who in true faith accept this Savior have in him all they need for salvation. Why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance. For our only high priest who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually pleads our cause with the Father and our eternal King who governs us by his word and spirit and who guards us and keeps us in the freedom he has won for us. Isn't that glorious? The freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus, the one and only mediator. our wonderful Savior this morning. Sing about what Jesus has done for us today. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom. My steadfast love, my deep and bound
follow Jesus, for he has said that he seated for corporate prayer. And if you'd bow with me. Father in heaven, we bow before you as the author of life and the creator of the cosmos. And Lord, how much we ought to rest in the fact that you're the Lord of the nations. Help us to realize this morning that our shouldn't be overwhelmed with our own concerns, but rather to think that you're a global God and that you're working your purposes across your planet. And Lord, may we delight in seeing your name go forth in hard-to-reach places. We think of our missionaries at this very hour, places like Central Asia and those we know in Sub-Saharan Africa, who, while they don't have much in terms of earthly things, that they have the great riches of Jesus, and I pray that you would strengthen them today that you would protect them. And even in places where they haven't been able to respond as we have with uh, the pandemic and uh, governmental situations, that you would again use them to allow your name to go forth and that we would be an encouragement to them, Lord. Father, we also think of our nation. Lord, we pray particularly for a smooth inauguration day that we would see a peaceful transfer of power and that we would be those always as your followers that would seek to be peacemakers, that we would be those who promote the ideas of civility and kindness. And Lord, I do pray that we would not be those who become too entangled in what the news says or even in social media or even with others in our church family who we disagree with, but rather keep our eyes focused on the real King, the Lord Jesus, to remember we're citizens of your kingdom first and that while we're here, we're to honor your name and to work for you. And so, Lord, if we have, I know many of us, I know I have become too entangled in civilian affairs that we repent of that and that rather we would say, Lord Jesus is king, 
how do we use these times and these circumstances to really uh, help others think more closely about you. So, Lord, we do pray for our nation. We pray for our region that is Northeast Ohio. Lord, as you've put us in this little spot of your globe, help us to do all we can in our work commitments, in our social spheres, uh, to work again towards your ultimate purposes. And even this week, that our faith wouldn't be a stale thing or something just confined to a one hour on a Sunday morning, but to say we're to go out into the world and to bear witness and to do that in your strength. Lord, in our local church family, I know this past week we've probably said things that we wish we could take back, that we've done things that weren't the best things to do as your representatives. And Lord, we turn from that. We repent afresh that we confess our sins to you in this hour, knowing in full confidence that um, those who are in you, that there's an assurance of pardon. And Lord, may we feel the great refreshment of the, the newness and the freshness in you and pray, Lord, that you would sanctify us that we would again be built up into more mature followers, that we would feel increasingly the conviction of our sin, and that you would make us indeed into those who are set apart ones, as the letters, letter to the Philippians says. Lord, I pray for those struggling in the church family for a host of reasons. Recently, the loss of a loved one. I think of Ivers Ozenbergs and losing Anita after 56 years of marriage for Lisa and Rick, their family, also family in Maine. For the Berkheimers, Lord, and uh, Helen's passing, and uh, while we grieve, may we be those who grieve with hope and to say that's not the end of the journey, but actually there's a, a much uh, greater horizon. And may the church family love well that when we grieve, does every part grieve, and may we have this view that we link arms, as again Philippians says, that we stand side by side to build each other up, to comfort each other, and to point to real truth. Lord, in all this, it is our prayer that we would not come to see other people as vectors of disease, that uh, while we are to be cautious of the virus and maintain distance in this period, I pray that it wouldn't be something that's ingrained in our minds where, again, others are to be avoided, but actually all of us are children to be loved and help us, even while it's hard with mass and distance, to be a loving church family, that our love may, in fact, abound more and more in knowledge and in discernment, and that you would work through our family, our church family, in such a way to, to again, to make this clear. So, Lord, we ask that you would use us both uh, in the church and outside the church. And as Pastor Caleb prepares to preach your word from Philippians chapter 1, that we would see even in the midst of our hardship that your name can go forth, that ultimately we don't want to be better informed, though that's a good thing, but rather to be transformed into your likeness, to, to be changed, to view things differently, and to make the most of our earthly journeys. So we commit ourselves to you afresh, and may you build us up in this hour for Christ's sake. Amen. I know you've been up and down a few times this morning, but if you're able to honor uh, God's word, we'd ask that you stand. Today's reading, again, continuing on with this wonderful letter to the Philippian church, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. Philippians 1, chapter 12 through verse 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. 
What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Thank you for honoring God's word. Before we dive into God's word, would you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning, and our request is very, very simple. Would you be among us? Because we need you. Father, the words that are about to proceed from my mouth are weak and feeble, should you not come and empower them. And our hearts are, are hard against receiving them, should you not soften them. And so, Father, would you just be among your people this morning? Would you be at work in our lives? And would you declare your great love for us and conform us to the image of your Son? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you've seen the first Iron Man movie, you'll probably remember that Tony Stark has a life-transforming experience out in the deserts of Iraq. And once he gets back to America, the first thing he does, of course, after getting a cheeseburger, is to hold a press conference. And at this press conference, he announces to the world that his company, Stark Industries, will no longer be manufacturing weapons. And this is shocking to the world because Stark Industries is primarily a weapons manufacturing company. And I want you to imagine that you are a stockholder in Stark Industries, and you just heard the news. The premier weapons manufacturing company will no longer be making weapons. What are you going to do with that stock? You're going to sell. You're going to abandon ship, cut your losses, and try to find a safer investment. And it doesn't matter if you are close personal friends with Tony Stark or not. It's not personal. It's just business. And the Philippian believers find themselves in a similar situation. They have been investing with a guy named Paul. The Apostle Paul was the one who brought the gospel to the Philippian believers. And so they were more than happy to, to financially support him as he takes the good news about Jesus to what is now modern-day Turkey. But now, now Paul is in prison in Rome. The traveling preacher can no longer preach. or can no longer travel. And so there was most likely some in the congregation who were wondering why in the world we would keep supporting Paul. And so our text this morning, in one sense, is Paul's update to his supporters, informing them about his hardship, yes, but also what's going on with the ministry. But in that update, Paul is instructing the Philippians on something. See, we find out later in the letter, in Philippians 1, 29 through 30, that the Philippians are experiencing hardships of their own. Hardships not unlike the ones Paul is experiencing. And so our text this morning is Paul's demonstration to them from personal experience on how to respond to their hardship. And his answer is right here in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Uh, notice that 
both in this verse and in our text as a whole, Paul spends very little time talking about his hardship other than acknowledging he has one. Instead, he is very quick to pivot to the advancement of the gospel. The growth of God's kingdom is so great to Paul that it brings joy in the midst of his hardship. Now, we just used two words that, if you're a Christian, you're probably very familiar with, and yet most likely struggle to define. The gospel and joy. Now, the gospel for us is really a catch-all of Christian belief, right? It's forgiveness of sins. It's spending eternity in heaven. It's Jesus dying on the cross for you. And all that is true. But the gospel in, in Paul's day simply meant an announcement of good news. And so Paul is spreading the good news about Jesus, that there is a new king on the scene, and he has all authority and all power. Now, this wasn't a new claim. Caesar had been making the same claim about himself. However, Jesus was different. Unlike Caesar, Jesus had brought God's kingdom to earth. Jesus lived and died for others, and Jesus had been raised from the dead. And so the advancement of the gospel is simply Paul and others sharing the good news that Jesus is king and inviting people to enter his kingdom. And as the gospel advances, Paul tells us that he has joy despite his hardships. Now, joy is defined as, a, as the feeling of, of happiness and delight because of something good or beneficial. And I don't know about you, but that is no help to me at all, so let's try to illustrate. Joy is the feeling you get whenever you eat your grandmother's signature dish. You know, you are filled with happiness, delight, and most likely several carbs because of something good. But what happens when that dish is gone? The joy might linger for a little bit, but it often leaves when the source leaves, right? And so Paul's point is simply this, that his joy is able to persist in hardship because it's not based on his circumstances, but it's based on what God is doing. And he wants the Philippians, and by extension us, to experience that same joy. But is that even possible in 2021? I mean, I'm sure Paul had it bad when he wrote this letter, but he did not go through 2020. He did not experience the numerous hardships that we have all gone through this past year. Some of those hardships are, are personal and specific to you. But others, like the pandemic, we have all shared in. And so we have to answer the question, how can he expect us to find joy in the midst of these hardships, to find joy in the gospel? How are we to put this into practice? And he tells us that in verse 13. So, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Why? Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul could have been sitting in prison saying, woe is me, look how bad my life is. But instead, he's able to look around and perceive who is guarding him. It's the imperial guard. Th this was the emperor's personal detail. 
They were the ones tasked with protecting the emperor and guarding the prisoners in Rome. And they were a lot like the Secret Service. They were locked in on their task, and you weren't going to be able to have much of a relationship with them unless they were assigned to you. And so Paul takes a step back, and he perceives the opportunity for the gospel to advance to these unreached people because of his hardship. And that's often how hardships work. They present opportunities for the gospel to advance. Perhaps because of an aging spouse or parent, you now find yourself having the opportunity to share the gospel in a previously unreached place like a retirement center. Or, or maybe because of a terrible illness that you or a loved one experienced, you're now connected with a group who's gone through a similar experience, a group that would have been unreached should your hardship not provided an opportunity for the gospel to go forward. And I think COVID-19 ha has exponentially increased the opportunities the gospel has to advance because the walls of our coworkers, our neighbors, the parents of our kids' playdates are down. COVID has wiped them out. It has destroyed their financial security. The corporate ladder they were so focused on climbing has been knocked out from underneath them. They have once again spent another week home alone, isolated from everyone. Those who used to be disinterested are now desperately searching. It's hardships provide opportunities for the gospel to advance should we perceive them. But of course, perceiving opportunities is no good if they're not taken. We also have to proclaim the gospel so that it will advance. After all, how will they hear if, if no one preaches them? And how will, uh, how will they hear, preach? You get what I'm saying. Uh, and this would have been Paul's greatest concern, that while in prison, no one would pick up the slack. No one would step up to the plate and continue preaching the gospel. And you can understand why no one would want to do that, right? Oh, Paul's in prison because he's preaching the gospel. Man, that really makes me want to go out and preach the gospel too. No, that, that makes no sense. And yet that is exactly what happened. Look at verse 14. When the brothers hear that Paul is imprisoned for the Lord, they become much more bold to speak the word without fear. And it's these opportunities for the gospel to advance and hearing that people are advancing it that causes Paul to rejoice. He, he looks at the persistent work of God and he finds joy there, which is very different than how we normally respond to hardships, isn't it? Normally in the middle of hardships, we, uh, we try to minimize the hardship. That's no big deal. Now oh, we got this. It could be a lot worse. Or, or we try to be optimistic in them, right? Like, oh, I'm sure this is just a season. I'm sure we'll be out of this soon. But notice that Paul does neither one of those things. Paul doesn't minimize the hardship he's facing. He's in a first century Roman prison. It is horrible in there. And, neither, and nor does Paul say to himself, oh, I'm sure it will get better. Paul does not expect it to get better. In fact, he expects it to get worse. And it does. See, what Paul is advocating for is much more radical than how we normally respond to hardship. 
Paul wants us to anchor our joy outside of our current circumstances. And that reminds me of Oprah Winfrey. See, uh, back in 2004, Oprah Winfrey made talk show history by giving a car away to every one of her studio audience. And if you've never seen the, that episode, you're of course familiar with, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, right? But she actually did it in a rather clever way. She called up 11 random people from the audience and said that these 11 people are going to be getting a brand new car today. And of course, as the car is being drove onto the stage, these 11 people are ecstatic, right? But then it pans to the audience. And the audience is also ecstatic. They're losing their minds. And I wanted to pause right in that second and say, um, excuse me, why are you all happy? You're not getting a new car. You're going to drive home in the junker that you showed up in. Why are you rejoicing in someone else's advancement? And yet, that is exactly what Paul is commanding us to do, isn't it? He wants us to look at how the gospel is advancing, look at what God is doing, and find joy in that, despite the fact that our own circumstances haven't changed and they will potentially get worse. I don't know about you, but that sounds rather impossible to do. And I think that's because we suffer from myopic vision in the midst of our hardships, which is really just a fancy way of saying we're nearsighted. Uh, fun fact, I, I am very nearsighted. Without corrective lenses, I can only see things uh, about 12 inches from my face clearly, which means that when I have something 12 inches from my face, that's the only thing I can see. And that's how we get in hardships. When we are in the middle of hardships, we are myopic. We can only see what is exactly in front of us, that hardship. Moms, perhaps you've experienced this before, right? You, your, your days are filled with trying to keep one child from having another meltdown while preventing the other from continuing their Sharpie self-portrait on the wall. You, uh, you have cleaned the kitchen four, perhaps five times already today. You're trying to get through the endless amount of laundry. You have who knows what stuck in your hair, and you're just trying to get dinner on the table before the kids go to bed. And in walks your husband, and you would expect him to notice your hardship. But instead, he just goes on about how hard his day was. And you think to yourself, how can he not see what I'm going through? How can he not see my hardship? Or, or guys, you go off to work, and you are once again verbally berated by your boss in front of your coworkers. You have yet another impossible demand placed upon you, and there are rumors of downsizing again, and your name is connected with those rumors. And so you go home, and you're wondering, why does my wife have Play-Doh in her hair? But also, why does she not see my hardship? Do you see my point? Both hardships are legitimate, but neither can see the other's hardship because they are so engrossed in their own. And that is how we get in our hardship. We, we, we become so locked in that we can see nothing but the difficulty we're in. And the corrective lenses that we prescribe for ourselves is to get ourselves out of the problem. We become fixated on advancing ourselves past 
the hardship. And that causes us to relate to anything, but specifically the gospel, in one of two ways. We distance ourselves from the gospel. We treat the gospel like companies treated Tiger Woods when his marital infidelities came out. If you remember whenever that story was breaking, companies quietly began to drop their sponsorships with him. They had no problem being associated with Tiger Woods when he was on top of the world. But whenever being connected with him might hurt the brand, they uh, put some distance between him and them. They didn't burn the bridge. Uh, They didn't cut ties. They just put some space between each other until things died down. And we can do the same thing with the gospel in the midst of our hardships. We have no problem with the gospel when things are going well. We'll celebrate it. We will even uh, proclaim it and help it advance. But whenever we are in the midst of hardship, whenever we're stuck in the middle of our trials, we put distance between us and the gospel. Because let's be honest, the gospel rarely helps us out of a hardship. If anything, it makes it worse. Which is why we're not too keen on proclaiming it. But sometimes it does help us. Sometimes we can, in fact, leverage the gospel to help us out of our hardship. This is apparently part of Paul's hardship, according to verses 15 through 18. While Paul is in prison, there apparently was a group of people in Rome, presumably believers, who began to preach the gospel. But we're told that they preached the gospel out of envy and rivalry rather than love. They are fueled by their selfish ambition. They see the gospel as a tool that they can leverage to get themselves out of or keep themselves out of hardship. And they can gain something like notoriety from it. And we run the same possibility when we're in the middle of hardships. I used to see this all the time in college. Now, I went to a Bible college, which means that everyone is trying to get married uh, before they graduate, which meant there's serious relationships all the time. But these relationships would be going fine, they'd be going fine, seems great, and then all of a sudden, boom, is broken off. And come to find out, it was God's fault. So here's how the conversation would go. You know, I really like you. Oh, I like you too. But I think we need to break up. But but, but why? Well, it's because I think God wants me to focus on my relationship with him. See, I I think he really wants me to focus on serving him and advancing the gospel. I just can't do that if I'm in a relationship with you. You understand, it's for God. Um, I guess so, right? But then the irony would be, two weeks later, that person would be dating someone new. See, they said it was for the advance of the gospel, right? It was because of God. But it was really just to advance themselves out of a relationship they no longer wanted to be in, without it blowing up in their face. And whether we distance ourselves from the gospel or we try to leverage it, either way, we aren't rejoicing in it or anything, because our joy is based on our circumstances. But how great would it be to be able to rejoice in the midst of a hardship, to actually be like Paul and find joy in the lows of life? But to do that, 
our basis for rejoicing would have to change to something constant, something unaffected by our hardship. Well, Paul and his fellow believers had found such a thing. Notice why they boldly proclaim the gospel in this passage. Look at, for example, verse 14. They do so because they have become confident in the Lord. They don't preach out of a sense of obligation. They, they don't preach because they have some goodwill toward Paul. They preach because of a loving response to God's provision for them. See, if we want to have joy in any hardship, our basis has to be God in every hardship. Which means the most important question that you and I can ask ourselves in the midst of a hardship is, can I trust God? Will God come through for me this time? And that seems like a rather easy question to answer, but it's, it's really not. Uh, see, it, it's a much like a trust fall. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, know, you cross your arms, lean back, and hopefully the person behind you catches you or you're going to wipe out. So I want you to imagine that uh, in our staff meeting tomorrow, we're going to do a team-building exercise. We're going to do trust falls. Okay? And so Pastor Austin and I are paired, paired up, and he's a very trustworthy guy. The odds are in my favor that he's going to catch me. But that's not really the question, is it? The question is, will he catch me this time? What happens if, as I hit the tipping point, the point of no return, one of his kids rushes in with an, with an alley? Well, like a good dad, he's going to turn and make sure his kid's okay, which means I am ending up on the floor. Or, uh, or maybe he uh, miscalculates how much holiday weight I have put on, and uh, I knock us both over. Uh, or, or, or perhaps uh, this illustration has run on too long with him, and so he's a little offended, and uh, he just lets me fall out of spite. Now, he's a trustworthy guy, but the question is, can I trust him every single time to catch me? And if I can't trust him every single time, can I trust him this time? Now, you might say, Caleb, it's three feet. Play the odds. And you're right. I would. But what happens when it's our life that's on the line. See, we are in a cosmic trust fall with God. He says that he's trustworthy. He says that he has a plan for us, that he's got us, that he's able. The question is, can we trust him every single time? Can we be absolutely convinced that he's not going to be negligent, incompetent, or plain malevolent against us this time? Does God have some ulterior motive this time? Does he really have what's best for me this time, in this hardship? And there's a little voice in our back of our head that's always telling us, mm, maybe not. Maybe we should just trust ourselves. And it was this suspicion that led Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were unconvinced in the trustworthiness of God. Perhaps he's withholding something from us, that he doesn't have our best in mind. And it is this suspicion of God and his trustworthiness that keeps us from trust falling into him in the midst of our hardships. We, we simply just can't take him at his word. But there was one who did. 
right? There was one who took God at his word and entrusted himself despite the hardship. Jesus. Jesus had every opportunity to distance himself from what God was trying to accomplish. He had every opportunity to leverage his power and get off the cross, calling down an army of angels to rescue him. And yet he entrusted himself to God, fully convinced and confident that God knew best. And what happened? God raised him from the dead. God provided a way that you and I could enter into his kingdom and be in right relationship with him. See, Jesus is the assurance that we can trust God every single time. Elsewhere in Romans 8, 31 through 32, Paul puts it like this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, because of Jesus, we can be fully convinced that God will redeem the hardship. We can be absolutely confident that we can trust God every single time because he gave up the greatest thing, his son. And when we are fully persuaded in the trustworthiness of God, we can begin living like it. When we are convinced that we are secure in his grasp, we're able to to see outside of our hardship and rejoice in what God is doing, how he is redeeming us and the world. And when we grasp that no hardship, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, That gives us a boldness to advance the gospel like we have never known. So how's your confidence in the Lord? Are you fully persuaded in the trustworthiness of God despite the hardships you find yourselves in? Can I encourage all of us to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Can I encourage us to look to the one who redeems all things, even our hardships, so that we won't grow weary or faint-hearted, and will proclaim the gospel with boldness and great joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you that that you are a trustworthy God, that, that you are characterized by faithful love. Father, we confess, I confess that um, I'm quick to doubt that love. I'm quick to, to doubt whether I can trust you this time. The hardship might just be a little different this time. Father, would you forgive us in our attempts to solve our problems, our attempts to to fix what's going on. And Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to see the ultimate demonstration of your love and trustworthiness and find joy as you redeem us and all creation. 
Father, would you, uh, would you be pleased in the songs we are about to sing to you, and would you continue to minister to our hearts? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and continue worshiping our great God together.
Christ our hope in life and death. Sing now and forever. And now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Let's sing of His great mercy. Without bottom or shore, for our sins they are many, His mercy is more. And we praise Him this morning. Sins they are many, His mercy is more. Sins they are many, His mercy is more. Sins they are many, His mercy is more. 
Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. May you go in the joy of the gospel of Jesus. Have a great day.